Hello, and welcome to the History of Haiti. Over the last few episodes, I've gone over the rise and climax of Emperor Saluk. I've covered how he used his tyrannical violence mixed with popular rhetoric to allow him to stay in power. I've also covered what he did with that power. I've talked about his invasions of the DR, as well as his creation of a monarchy. But of course, Saluk's reign was not indefinite. The very things that he had done to protect his power would, as we will see, end up partially being the cause of his demise. To talk about the fall of Saluk, I of course have to introduce his successor, Fabre Geffrard. Geffrard was born in 1806, the same year Dessalines was assassinated and Haiti split into civil war. This makes Geffrard the first Haitian president not to have fought or even lived through the events of the Haitian Revolution. Instead, he grew up in the atmosphere of civil war and of Pétion's Republic, rather than the chaos of the Revolution. This made him into a strong believer in republicanism. Geffrard's father, Nicolas Geffrard, had been one of Dessalines' main lieutenants, tasked with overseeing the whole of the South. Geffrard was born to colored parents, and he was definitely colored in the socio-political sense, but his complexion was so dark that he could claim to be black. His father died the same year Geffrard was born, and his death was soon followed by his mother, Geffard was adopted by his uncle Fabre, from whom he took his first name. He was also heavily influenced by General Borghella, whom I have talked about quite a lot before. When he was 15, Geffard enlisted in the army. After 22 years, on the eve of the Revolution of 1843, Geffard was promoted to captain. He was among the first group of conspirators in Herard and Dumas's revolt against Boyer. As I mentioned in episode 47, Geffrard showed himself in this revolt to be a talented and courageous officer. In one instance, he spread his force out and had them beat drums to trick the enemy into thinking that he had more soldiers than he did, causing the enemy to retreat. Importantly, another thing he did was arrest Richet, which I will get back to in a second. Through the instability of the 1840s, Geffrard rose through the ranks of the army. At one point, he even battled a coup. But when Richet became president, he harbored a grudge against Geffrard over his arrest, and so he had Geffrard arrested and put on trial for trumped-up charges. In an ironic t twist, the Minister of War did not want Geffrard to be executed, and so he organized for his trial to be overseen by a man he knew would not be willing to kill Geffrard for no reason. This man was, get this, none other than Faustin Saluk. This began a close friendship between the two. Geffrard served in the Dominican invasions, where he showed a concern for the common soldier, which made him incredibly popular. Unlike Saluk, whose reputation was tarnished by the failed invasions, Geffrard's reputation was advanced in the eyes of the public. So, in 1858, Geffard was a popular and talented general, who, as I will get to, many people began to look to as a replacement for Saluk. But before I dive into all the things that caused Saluk's overthrow, I want to briefly mention one of the final important things that happened during his reign, and that is the annexation of Navassa. Navassa is a small island about one mile across on one side and two miles across on the other 
which lies about 35 miles off the western coast of the southern peninsula. Like Haiti itself, it was originally claimed by the Spanish, then the French, and then the Haitians, but it was never settled, and no one ever lived there. It was a barren rock in the middle of the ocean, which no one cared about until the Americans showed up. But Navasa was rich in guano, a resource that had become ridiculously valuable within the United States. Guano had become so valuable that in 1856, the American Congress passed the Guano Islands Act, allowing Americans to go out and claim unclaimed and barren islands for the United States. I think you can see where this is going. In July 1857, an American discovered the island. He estimated that there were a million tons of guano on the island, which was quite a lot. Soon, other Americans claimed it on his behalf, and it was sold to a banking house, which began mining using Haitian and foreign labor. Salouk was informed of this, which he did not approve of. The island was, after all, Haitian. He sent two warships there to tell the miners to leave, although he invited them to ask permission to continue mining. The miners wrote the American Secretary of State, who sent warships to Port-au-Prince as a show of force to Salouk. He told Salouk that a warship would stay in Navassa to protect Americans. Salouk backed down from this, although the issue would soon come up again. This shows that the American American Empire was expanding, with an ever-increasing eye towards Haiti and its neighbor, the DR. So at the beginning of his reign, Salouk had been pretty popular, but by the end, he was widely hated. The colored bourgeoisie hated him because of the massacres of 1848, but for a while, they had seen him as a protector of themselves against the far more extreme far left. But after his round of executions of far-left leaders, they no longer feared the far-left. As for the peasants, Salouk had originally been their hero and champion. He had been their leader during the wave of political violence against the coloreds. But they had come to realize that the social revolution they had been hoping for wasn't going to pan out. Some were even a little dissuaded when their leaders were executed. Also, the invasions of Santo Domingo turned people against him. Invading the DR was extremely unpopular within Haiti, as it was a pointless war that no one cared about. But what really pushed people over the edge, and what really made the peasants into revolutionaries, was an economic disaster created by Salouk. As I have talked about in previous episodes, the Haitian economy operated partially under the Lacou system. Peasants owned or rented land where they would grow food to sustain themselves and cash crops like mahogany or coffee to sell. At the market port cities, they exchanged these cash crops to coloreds and foreign merchants and used the money to buy foreign and refined goods like cloth. To begin... Salouk's 1848 massacre of the coloreds severely messed up the colored merchant business, which, in the end, ended up hurting the economy as a whole. Another thing Salouk did was cause hyperinflation. You see, Salouk spent enormous amounts of money on his monarchy. His coronation was incredibly expensive. Everyone in his nobility was given a high salary. To fund this, Salouk resorted to just printing paper money. This, of course, only made things worse by causing hyperinflation. 
It's hard, it's hard to gauge a number on these, but eventually it got so bad that most foreign merchants wouldn't even accept Haitian gourds. Then, this whole situation went from bad to worse when Saluk introduced a harebrained scheme to create royal quote-unquote monopolies. He planned to have idle conscripted soldiers, who usually got to return to their families when not on campaign, perform labor for him that would produce economic goods that could be sold. He paid them starvation wages while forcing them to do backbreaking work, which they of course resented. He also forced taxes and price regulations and caused a massive rise in prices to the extent that foreign merchants would not buy certain Haitian goods, like coffee. On certain items, the monopoly meant that peasants could not produce them, while on others it just meant that they couldn't be sold, and yet on others it meant that they were just more expensive. He then began extending the monopolies to basic goods, like vegetables, meat, and, of course, alcohol. This messed up the whole Lacou system, and of course, everyone blamed Saluk for this. The peasants now saw him as nothing more than another oppressive tyrant. This economic disaster created by Saluk, monopolies, and hyperinflation made everyone turn on him. Throughout his reign, there had always been some kind of plotting to overthrow Saluk. But as the economic disaster worsened and his final invasion of the Dominican Republic ended in an embarrassing failure, the plotting intensified, as well as the political action against Luke. One man stole the Empress's jewelry box, but was caught, although the police were unable to find the box. Saluk offered him amnesty if he would return the box, but he refused, telling Saluk that I have stolen a jewelry box but you have stolen a nation. He died a martyr, remembered by the city of Port-au-Prince. The main plot against Luke existed in the port city of Go-Knives. There, a group of conspirators planned to launch a revolt during Luke's next planned campaign in the Dominican Republic. But in late 1848, a new opportunity presented itself. Out of everything it could have been, the trigger for the revolt that overthrew Saluk was astrological. Back in 1811, a comet had appeared. That was the same year Christophe had besieged Port-au-Prince, and the Haitians did not fail to make a connection between an important event and a comet. Then, in 1843, another comet appeared, and Boyer was overthrown. Once again, Haitians drew a connection between the comet and the event. In 1858, yet another comet appeared. This time, Haitians associated the comet with the upcoming fall of Saluk, a connection even made by Saluk himself. People began to talk about the popular general Geoffroy and about him replacing Saluk. Geoffroy stayed loyal to Saluk, and he and Saluk remained friends. According to one story, Saluk and Giffard met, and Giffard mentioned to Saluk that his daughter was getting married, but he could not afford to give her a dowry. Saluk then offered him several pieces of gold if Giffard could take it out of his clenched fist, which Giffard was able to do. It seems like this looked like a bad omen to Saluk. 
There are other, probably apocryphal, stories surrounding Jeffrard and Saluk, such as that Jeffrard had sworn loyalty to Saluk on the head of his son, and that his son died days after Jeffrard took power. As talks surrounding Jeffrard increased, he was contacted by the conspirators and go knives. He agreed to lead the revolt against Saluk, partially out of fear that he would soon be arrested. In late December, Jeffrard fled Port-au-Prince and went up to go knives. There, the general in charge of the region was killed by a captain who began a revolt. Soon, Jeffrard had the whole of the Artibonite and the north on his side. He marched with an army of thousands south towards Port-au-Prince. Saluk marched north to meet him with an army of 3,000 soldiers, many of whom quickly defected. They met in a small skirmish, where after Saluk decided to retreat to the capital. Jeffrard advanced on the capital, but was checked when Saluk threatened to massacre the colored population of the city, which included Jeffrard's family. Choosing to ignore this threat, which did not happen, on January 15th, Jeffrard entered Port-au-Prince after bribing or encouraging defections from the Zinglins that guarded the city. He entered it as a hero. Remembering how Saluk had once saved his life, Jeffrard was merciful towards Saluk, whom he allowed to go into exile with his family and a ton of money. Saluk would enjoy a comfortable exile in Kingston, Jamaica for the next eight years before dying at age 84. Saluk is a really strange leader in Haitian history. He's the last real revolutionary leader of Haiti. As I talked about earlier, he was the last president who lived through the events of the Haitian Revolution. He is in many ways a successor to Toussaint and a precursor to the Duvaliers. But his reign is pretty controversial among historians, many of whom choose to ignore it or pass over it. Unlike a lot of other Haitian leaders, Saluk doesn't really leave a legacy. Like Christophe, after his exile, his institution simply disappeared, and the constitution of 1816 was restored. After his fall, he would enter in a, into a period of republicanism. And to begin that period, next episode I will begin the rule of Fabre Geffrard. <laughs>